Good morning, everyone. The Mary Griffith Show is underway for January 9th, brought to you by Harvest Ridge Coffee and Refreshment Services Pepsi. And boy, did I need my Harvest Ridge this morning. Mondays are a double Harvest Ridge day for me and for Steve. So thank you very much to Refreshment Services Pepsi for bringing you the Mary Griffith Show. Be sure to have a wonderful cup of Harvest Ridge sometime today, whether you brew it yourself at home or you go out to your local convenience store. Today is the day that we talk about Tri-State Veterans Support and together with the Tri-State Veterans. And as always, Richard Elson-Peter is here. Good morning, Richard. How are you today? Mary, I'm doing fantastic. And your day? I am super great, super great. And I always look forward to this day because we talk about very important issues, and that is um, trying to prevent veteran suicide. And you brought a very special guest with you today, Deb Moeller. Uh, she's a licensed clinical social worker and something else, a li- licensed masters of social worker, I guess, huh? Did I get it right? That's correct. Okay. Licensure. Boy, I tell you, you got a lot of a lot of letters after your name, and you work with the Iowa City VA healthcare system, and you are uh, very interested in suicide prevention among veterans. And so, let's start out just by getting to know you a little bit better, Deb. Uh, do you live up? In Iowa City? Actually, no. I live in Davenport, Iowa, so okay. I came down this morning from Davenport, but I've had the pleasure of working with the Iowa City VA for um, almost 10 years now. Having, uh, I'm getting old. It's a, I've worked in healthcare as a social worker, medical social worker, for about 30 plus years and worked for a large home care organization in the Quad Cities for almost 20 years before I came to the VA about 10 years ago. So, I have had a couple of different roles with the VA, worked first in primary care and then with our transplant team. Most folks don't know that we do kidney transplants at the Iowa City VA. Uh, and uh, in August, or I worked for five years with our contract nursing home team, and then in August transitioned into this role with our suicide prevention team. So very excited to be doing what I'm doing and taking the the mission of suicide prevention outside the walls of the VA and out into our communities. Well, that's something we're going to talk about extensively. We've got lots of time to talk about it today because, you know, when you're in a crisis or you need help, you can't always get to Iowa City. And so it's critically important that we have VA clinics scattered around the region, and we also have people that are working to serve veterans wherever they live to get them to help as soon as possible. So where did you go to school? How did you become interested in in this kind of uh, social work? Oh my gosh, that's that's a long story. So I I have a bachelor's degree from the University of Northern Iowa, go Panthers. Um, I'm going to date myself. I got my bachelor's in May of 1990, and when I first went to school to become a social worker, I thought that I wanted to work with kids and work in the juvenile probation system. Spent a week of of spring break doing some volunteer work and decided that was not for me. And uh, the next. The next area of interest was to work in healthcare. So I, I did my bachelor's level internship practicum at a hospital in, in Davenport at that time, um, and fell in love with it and have worked in healthcare ever since. Okay. Sometimes you think you know what you want to do and then you do it and you say, ugh, that wasn't exactly for me. So Cedar Falls, right? Cedar Falls. My Cedar bachelor's Falls. from, yep, the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls. Yeah. And then my master's degree is from the University of Iowa, Go Hawks. Um, I it would saw have been, that. I, you might have. You might have even had. We'll talk off air. You might have even had one of my compadres as your teacher, back there in Northern. 
northern Iowa. That would be oh, interesting if mm-hmm. you did. That would be kind of interesting. So you've devoted yourself now working for the VA and working for those who have uh, served willingly uh, to make our country great. And we think about this. The other day it was the 20th anniversary of the first person passing away uh, in a combat situation after 9-11. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, I think I don't ever get any older, you know, so therefore nobody else ever gets any older. Right. I'm, thinking, I'm with you on that one. These guys that are, you know, were in that war, they're probably, you know, 30 now. No, they're in their 40s and 50s. I mean, some of them are in their 60s, depending on, you know, where they were in their in their military career. And that's the latest, you know, real conflict that we're still kind of still struggling with and fighting. And so we have a lot of people who are coming home every day with some kind of trauma. And uh, suicide is on their minds sometimes, and we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Let's give an example of how the VA is changing, because uh, even though I have socks older than you are, you do say you've been around for a long time. And so what have you seen are the changes in the Veterans Administration and the way the VA is trying to curb this onslaught where sometimes you're more likely to die back home from suicide than you were being in a forward area. It's kind of a, a weird thing. So I think the VA, like any other healthcare system, is is always changing and that's just the nature of healthcare in general. Uh, over the last uh, number of years, uh, there have been a number of different initiatives in how the VA is always forward thinking, looking at ev- evidence-based practices, looking at research and studies to help move the organization forward. Um, they're doing things like uh, updating our electronic medical system. Uh, we significantly expanded our telemedicine, our telehealth programs, and, and uh, responded to COVID, stood up telehealth across the nation to make sure that we were still taking care to our veterans who were not able to come actually into our medical centers or our clinics. Um, there's other things going on like Whole Health, the Whole Health Initiative, which is a full mind, body, spirit approach to medicine um, that is that is becoming very robust, and, and that message is spreading out across the country. Um, in my particular role as a community engagement and partnerships coordinator with the suicide prevention team, uh, my role was stood up, is being stood up across the country, um, knowing that the, the most the most recent data tells us that about 16.8 veterans die every day by suicide. And of those, we know that um, a little over half have either never come to the VA for care or had not accessed the VA for care within two years prior to their death. So with that, the VA has is taking a very public health approach of of moving the mission of suicide prevention outside the walls of our VA medical centers and our clinics and taking it out into the communities to help um, to help address the mission of suicide prevention. And we do so um, with three priority areas that we are focused on. And um, here in Quincy have had just the real privilege and honor to, to meet Richard. And um, he has a uh, he and his group, with the, together with Tri-State Veterans, they have a very robust program going on here, and it's uh, my pleasure to be here today to talk a little bit more about, about what we all do. Well, thanks to Richard Elson, Peter, we do have once a month people learning more and more and more about the VA and about other, you know, peer-to-peer counseling, etc. You mentioned three priorities. Do you want to get into those and maybe go into each one a little bit, you know, more in depth? Because... 
My problem is, as an interviewer, I know a little bit about uh, mental health struggles because I take me- medicine for uh, depression. I know a little bit about mental health struggles, but I'm not, you know, even though Richard has done a great job to educate me, I'm still not all the way up on top of, of course, I never will be, the struggles that people have that return from active duty and how that could be triggered the day they come home or 20 years after they come home. So let's talk about those top three priorities, if you don't mind. Sure. So, so we, my role is structured around the framework of my role is is to work on uh, work with communities on three different priority areas. The first priority is to identify service members, veterans, and their families, and uh, screen for suicide. Screen those who may be at risk for suicide. And so we we talk about identifying service members, veterans, and their families, so that we are including all who have served in the military. And, and particularly here in, here in uh, Illinois, you have several different actual military installations. In Iowa, we are a very guard-heavy state, meaning that we do not have an active military base, per se, in Iowa. And there are many people who serve in, in the guard or the reserves who some people don't necessarily consider to be a veteran or depending on, on their length of service or whether they are activated or not. So we, we, my role is to get the message out that we want to help prevent suicide amongst su- service members, veterans, and their family members. And that's... Now, okay. Didn't mean to interrupt you there, but there is quite the little controversy sometimes over right. who's a veteran. Correct. Uh, if you serve in the National Guard, you are not necessarily considered a veteran. That sometimes is the question, and I and I um, so that's again why we my role and even uh, much of what Richard's group is doing, the Together with Tri-State Veterans, we are promoting uh, organizations, local hospitals, organizations outside of the VA to instead of asking the question, "Are you a veteran?" to ask the question, "Have you ever served?" Because that's that's important, and and in terms of getting people connected with services. So so the first priority: identifying service members, veterans, and their families, and then screening those who may be at risk for suicide. And it might be, I mean, very commonly, folks think about about people who have served in the military and and coming back from from combat with PTSD or those other sorts of struggles. But what we know is from from the research is that um, many who who die by suicide are, are struggling with many of the same things that, that most people do when they, are, when they are really at a hard place in their lives, be it relationship issues or financial issues or job loss or all of those things mixed together. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's the first priority. The second priority is to promote connectedness and improve care transitions. So what do we mean by connectedness? And I, I could turf this, this piece to Richard, but... Um, we know that there's this real strong camaraderie, this strong brotherhood, sisterhood of being in the military. And when folks leave military service, um, it, what I, I've not experienced that myself, but I hear just over and over and over, there's, there's a, almost a sense of loss of that. When you leave military service, you, you, you lose some of that piece of the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the sisterhood. So promoting connectedness is, is about promoting how do, we, how do we help people connect to others. We know that feeling connected, whether it's through family relationships or work relationships or that 
feeling um, of being having relationships with others is, is a primary protective factor in, in helping to prevent suicide prevention. So how do we promote connectedness? And down here in this organization or in, in Quincy area, not only uh, with Richard's group and all that they are doing, I, I had the pleasure of meeting some folks with the Fishing for Freedom uh, group when we were at a, you had a resource fair back in October, the end yep, of October, and, and there was this table behind me that I'm like, ooh, it looks like a fishing group. I'm going to go over and be nosy. So it was, I, I'm like, what an amazing. The second largest fishing for freedom group in the United States. Yeah. yeah. Those are what, what connections does that group help veterans make as, as a protective factor to feel that they, they have, even if it's just for one week, and I am back in the brotherhood or the sisterhood. So promoting connectedness. you said that because Bob Havermail, after you were on yes. last week talking about a special event that's coming up to raise money, Bob Havermail called and said, I want to read you an email. He was here in the studio. He came in and said, I want to read you an email of a veteran who sent to him and said, Bob, you saved my life. You know, you may think you're just, you know, taking us, and he knows, Bob knows how important it is. You may just think you took us fishing, you know, for a couple of days, but you'll never know how much that changed my whole perspective and how it gave me a new uh, camaraderie again and a new group of people. And just knowing that people care, people that don't have a military background care about people that are uh, in our military. So, right, so come out and honor, honor yeah. the service and the sacrifice that you made. Absolutely. Yep. So that's, like you said, the relationships, things like that, any time a town or any group, any no matter how small the town is, whatever, our little town up here <laughs> uh, is raises like $40,000 a year, one bar in one day, raises $40,000 a year for Fishing for Freedom. So we're beginning to really become known as an area that cares about veterans. So again, promoting, you know, communications and caring relationships we're doing a lot, but more needs to be done because, again, some people are reluctant to right. come out there. So what's so, number three? So priority area number three is increasing lethal means safety and safety planning. And so people get a little nervous when you start talking about lethal means safety. We know that a um, significant proportion of veterans own firearms. That, that We know that. We know that uh, firearm that... that about 70%, near 70% of all veterans who die by suicide do so um, by a gun, by a gunshot. And um, we also know that suicide attempts with a firearm are, are the most deadly, that about 90% of people who attempt uh, suicide with a firearm uh, actually end up completing the act. So um, lethal means safety is all about putting time and space between between the wanting to take action to end my life and having the means to do it. Whether that is, we talk a lot about firearms, and it, people get a little nervous about that because, of course, that's a very, very hot political topic, and this, our message has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's all about, we know from people who, studies of people who have attempted suicide and have survived, uh, what that tells us is that Suicide is usually something that happens in a crisis moment. And oftentimes it can be a matter of minutes. It can be a matter of 20 minutes. It can be typically less than an hour. So it's all about putting time and distance between, uh, between that crisis happening and having the means to get the action done. So whether that is um, due for those who have firearms, 
talking with them about are you storing them unloaded? Do you store them locked in a gun safe? Do you have gun locks on them? And I know Richard has an endless supply down here of gun locks for folks. Um, are you, if you are feeling that you are struggling or in crisis, is there something, you know, while you're having this rough patch, is there a way, is there somebody else who can keep your weapons for you? Is there, is there, how do we, how do we promote that safety for the weapons? But, but the other thing that we talk about is medication also as a means of being able to harm yourself. And we know for those, uh, for those of our listeners out there that, that get their medications from the VA, and actually through many insurance programs now, things come in a 90-day supply. It's pretty common. You get your medicines in the mail with a 90-day supply. And if we, are, if we are somebody who is in a position that we are struggling, is there a way that we can, that we can leave a week's worth of medicines in the house and then ch- give, give the other chunk of them to somebody else to hold? while we until we get back to where we're feeling well and back on the road again to to living our healthy normal life how do we reduce the means of of having access to what could potentially harm us so that's one piece of it of a priority three the other one is is safety planning and safety planning um, is actually very detailed structured conversations to have with folks that we know are potentially that, that they may be having some suicidal ideation or that they may be at risk for harming themselves. And it can be a very structured conversation about, okay, what, what would be your reasons to live? Can we, can we talk about what the reasons would be and then write them down? Have, have a reminder written somewhere that, okay, if, if I feel myself starting to spiral, can I pull this plan out and look at, here are my reasons to live. Here is who I can call on my care team who can help me in a crisis. If my care team's not available, here are my family and my friends that are important to me and who know what's going on and understand and they're the ones that are able to, to help. Um, here at the bottom of my, of my safety plan is if, if for whatever reason I don't feel any of those above, are able to help, then here's the Veterans Crisis Line, 988-DIAL, press 1 for Veterans Care. Um, how do we, it, it can be a very detailed plan, printed off, ready to, to reference if and when um, somebody feels themselves starting to spiral a little bit into that crisis mode. Richard Dawson, Peter, get involved here because Deb Muller has laid out, you know, a great plan there, but um, I guess a lot of people are not going to want to do that. I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? A lot of people don't want to uh, get other people involved in their guns, their medication, their lives in general. So that is the challenge, right? But that trusted partner, you can get somebody will be led into that inner fold. It's just finding who that person is, right? Um, Absolutely. And it's one of those, there's so many things that, Deb is bringing up and talking about that I want to inject myself in, but I've learned a long time ago with interviews, sometimes it's better for me just to keep my mouth shut and not interrupt the flow because Deb is doing a fantastic job of laying out her, what she does, how she does, and everything else, so I don't want to interrupt that. Um, but she's, she's right. The, the one of the things that we always push for and strive for is that camaraderie because one of those things that with when you're in the military, you never go anywhere without your buddy. You never go anywhere by yourself. You are, you're always surrounded by your buddies, your pals, your friends, your squadron, your platoon, your company, your, you know, uh, your battalion. If you need something, there's always somebody there to help you go there and get there. If you don't know where to go, you go to the oily room and you ask the first sergeant, or the, you know, I have a problem. 
you know, Sergeant Elspeter, go to building 3222, go to build, you know, room 33, ask for Sergeant Smith, he'll take care of you. And you do it. When you get out, you are leaving that support structure. You go home, and all of a sudden, all of those people that you were surrounded with, that, that support structure you had, that family that you had, is now gone. And you're by yourself, and you feel so alone, you feel so isolated, you have no idea, you know, on a base, everything is kind of contained. When you're out into a city or a town, and the all of these organizations that are supposed to be there to help, you don't know who they are, you don't know where they're at, you don't know who to ask for, and you don't know who to talk to about it. So you feel very isolated uh, and lonely. And one of that veteran mentality is, I'm strong. I can take it. I can do it. I'm, you know, I'm okay. You know, so you always hear that. You know, I'm okay. I'm all right. I can hack it. I can take it. Uh, so that's dependence on self and not wanting to be that weak link or to drag anybody else into your, you know, situation is very, very strong with veterans. And that's where that connective, you know, get back to the VFWs, get back to the, you know, American Legions, get back to the Marine Corps Leagues, get back to that brotherhood and sisterhood that you had. So you ha can help rebuild that structure, rebuild that family, rebuild that support structure and family, you know, support that you had before. You get back to those, you know, yeah. so you have somebody to lean on. Well, we're going to talk, uh, you led me into the next line of questioning, which we'll have to do after we take this break. But their priorities are to identify and screen uh, veterans to uh, provide uh, connections and care and relationship building for veterans and to have some lethal means safety and medication safety. Those are three top priorities. Uh, Deb Moeller is here today. And if you have a question for her, give us a call at 223-9300, 1-800-228-WTAD. We are back, Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Today we're talking about suicide prevention among veterans, and there's a way that you can help and still have a great time. They're having a comedy and concert evening event. We have your six. This is going to be Friday, January 13th at the Down Home Pub and Eatery at 9th and State in Quincy. It runs from 7 to 11. Tickets are $10. You can purchase them at the door, and the doors open at 6. You can get a a nice meal there. Do whatever you want. The uh, star of the show is Jake Gill. He was on season two of The Voice uh, back in 2012. So a lot of people will remember Jake Gill. He's uh, become, you know, pretty good in the uh, country music field. And we also have our favorite, Longhorn the Comedian, Vernon Davis, will also be performing. So this is Friday, January 13th. Doors open at 6 at the Down Home Pub in Eatery, 9th and State. 7 to 11 is the show. For more information, call this number, 217-335-3338. That's 335-3338 for the Friday night performance. We go back to our conversation today with Deb Moeller, uh, Community Engagement and Partnership Coordinator with the Suicide Prevention Team at Iowa City VA Healthcare System. And, of course, Iowa City is where we get the vast majority of veterans get their health care, but we have a clinic here in Quincy, and there are other outlying areas. And that's really critical to your mission on suicide prevention because it's one thing to need a kidney transplant. It's another mm -hmm. thing to need a vision exam or, you know, somebody has a problem with their legs. They kind of know, hey, I'll go up to Iowa City. I'll get the best care possible. But 
If I'm contemplating suicide or having a mental health crisis, I'm not going to drive all the way to Iowa City to see a counselor that day, probably. Oh, absolutely not. And actually, we have we have a wonderful, beautiful clinic here in Quincy um, that would always be, there's always a care team there to help folks. Um, we, we very robustly promote the Veterans Crisis Line, uh, which used to be a 1-8, well, it still is a 1-800 number. You can call the 1-800-273-8275 uh, and press 1. But... Um, but it switched to the summer to 988, and uh, still, folks, now it's, it's much easier. You think 911 for emergency, you can dial 988 for uh, any sort of emotional or mental health crisis. And uh, pressing 1 will get to the veterans crisis line, which generates a whole, um, behind the scenes, it generates a whole method of follow-up that goes out to our suicide prevention case managers so that we know veterans have called in and we can then proactively call them back and and, uh, work on getting folks connected to care. Well, we know that suicide is a big problem among teenagers, among a lot of people, but in our veterans, 17 veterans die every day from suicide. And, uh, you know, half of them, uh, as she said earlier, don't even ever really reach out and ask for help. Uh, They just don't know where to get help. And so I'm going to ask maybe the stupidest question of the day, but having not been in the military, when you're told what to do and you follow orders and you don't really question, this sounds stupid, but my sergeant told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. When they're releasing everybody from their obligation, why aren't they almost ordered? Because they can understand that. Now, if you get in any trouble with any problems, here is a number you're supposed to call, and I want you to call it as soon as you need help would seem to me that that would almost carry over as, you know, the best thing you could possibly do is to set them up, even make them call the number and maybe talk to somebody within the first six months of their being released just to see how things are going. Does the VA do anything like that? Would that be a good idea? So I, I can't really speak to, I, I don't know specifically about about uh, when when our service members are leaving military service. I know that there are, it's very methodical, there are outboarding uh, procedures and such, if you will. I I can't really speak to that. Um, I do know that through different, uh, like through Iowa Works employment systems uh, here in Illinois as well, the different employment services have veteran-specific programs that they can help to get veterans connected to either um, to employment opportunities or to follow up with um, if they're eligible to or want have an interest in going to some sort of vocational training, that sort of thing. Um, but, I mean, I think the, the greatest thing that we can do, and I, I so appreciate the time like this, is to take the message out into the community because um, I, I can't speak to what happens when folks leave military service or how to reach at that specific time we can we're doing that right now by reaching out to folks and and letting them know if if you did serve in the military you're you're curious if you qualify for care through the va certainly um contact the local clinic here in quincy contact uh your local county veterans affairs office and and apply for va health care or any of those if you have any questions whatsoever about care that might be available through the va and to see if it's something that you might be able to uh, to qualify for or benefit from. Um, so, and, and any, yeah, any and I'm I'm willing to do that if my knee hurts and I need a knee replacement, or if uh, you know I'm in kidney failure and I'm I'm going to need some medication to get my kidneys functioning. I don't know if I'm willing to do that if I am perceived to have a mental health disease because that's a stigma. You mentioned how the VA is working on whole health. 
yes, all medical professionals now are kind of understanding that you can even die literally of a broken heart. There are so many cases now that have been documented where a spouse dies and within a short period of time, it might be two days, it might be two years, but within a period of time, they literally die of broken heart syndrome. So we're kind of understanding that our emotions can play on our physical health and our physical health can also play on our emotions because if you are suffering from some kind of carryover like Agent Orange or this water situation that we hear about so much in the news now with the lawyers trying to get you to sue, you know, the Marine Corps base or whatever. I can imagine that that can be really debilitating to someone who feels like they've given, they've sacrificed for their community and where is this help that's supposed to be there for me? I've got, you know, I, my knees hurt, my joints hurt, my eyesight's ruined, I've got tinnitus. I mean, all kinds of things happen because of service and I can imagine that that can lead to depression so again I, I mean I can't I, I don't want to surmise what people go through mm -hmm. I, I can only share what I what I know is available or encourage people to take advantage of that and <laughs> and ever since I have come to the VA I have heard people say oh you know I, I don't need to go to the VA I have other insurance and I have my local doctors I don't need to go to the VA I'll leave that for people who who might really need it and and our message is that we want veterans to come for care whether you have your own insurance and you have your own local care team we want veterans to come and get enrolled with the VA healthcare because there might be there might be something that that the VA can offer that is not provided um, through their other insurance plan or their other health care uh, their other health care teams so and and then to get enrolled because then it might be that they find um, uh, oftentimes veterans come into our clinics and they find that hey this is a really fabulous place to be Richard shaking his head yes mm -hmm. you're sitting to the left of me because um, I think you're one that recently right and I will expand on that when you finish your thoughts I'll well, kind I'll, of expand I'll let you go okay. um, Mary the what I tend to find is there are, you start transitioning out of the military about 12 months before you actually transition out. So there are classes, there are training sessions, there are programs that you go through to help you through that transitional period. Not every soldier, though, knows what he knows. He doesn't know what he doesn't know, right. you know, type of situation. So when they get out, there are those people that did serve but don't consider themselves to be veterans. So they don't think about going to a, the VA because they themselves, even though they served in the National Guard or Army Reserve or something like this, they don't see themselves as a veteran, so they don't think about it. Or they'll go ahead and think that, I will leave that to the people who really need it. I'm okay. I'm strong. I can take it. I'll leave that for somebody else. They don't apply for VA benefits because I'm... And that was where I fell into, you know, a number of years ago. Um, I went out to the VA clinic. I was talking to a sergeant major that was working out there now. He says, have you applied for and signed up here? I'm like, no. Well, why not? Well, because I'm not a, I'm not a disabled veteran. I'm just an old veteran wearing out. He says, well, are you a doctor? No. Then how do you know that? Ah, darn, I hate logic. Um, but, you know, it's those things that you don't think about. Uh, so... A lot of times veterans also, when they're getting out, they don't want to say yes to a certain questions. They don't want to say, I have issues with this or that, because they just want to get out. They just want to go home. So if they say yes to this question, then 
they know they're going to be put into a treatment and they're going to be here for another three, four, five, six months before they get out again. So they don't want to say that they have an issue. So there are a multitude of different things of why that's veterans don't. right there. I oh, absolutely. That, and that's what know. we're here for. That's why Deb's here. That's why I'm here, to go ahead and bring that stigma down, to go ahead and say it's all right not to be all right. You can have issues and admit it, and that's not a weakness. That takes strength. It takes courage to admit that you have an issue. So, Especially when so much treatment is available. I mean, a lot of times a, a mere medication, you know, can really change your whole life. Uh, and, and that's true for our whole population, yeah, not, not mm-hmm. just veterans, uh, service members, right. veterans or families. I mean, that's true of, of, of so many everyone. People, so right. many people. I know a lot of people, they won't, they won't admit they need help because they don't want to lose their firearm on their ID card. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They're really living in peril and fear that somehow a mental health condition is going to be perceived as worse than any other thing that could be wrong with them. And until we get that stigma lowered, which hopefully shows like this will help, there's nothing wrong with needing a little bit of counseling or a little bit of um, chemical help. If you're chemically imbalanced, I mean, if your cholesterol is high, most people would say, yes, give me some medication. You know, I'll try to adapt my diet too, but give me some medication to get me through this for the next six months so I can get my cholesterol lowered. But people are reluctant to take medication to uh, get them chemically back in balance when that is so easy to do. And that sets the stage for you being healthy then for months and years to come. So it it is difficult. Yeah. I was recently at a... Um couple months ago at, a, at another event um, talking about reducing the stigma of mental of mental health and and uh, uh, veterans in the audience someone had asked about about getting care and I and my my point having come having worked my whole career as a medical social worker I oftentimes I will just point out to people okay so so if if uh, you are having a heart issue you're having something's going wacky with your heart uh, would you want to go see, you would probably start out seeing your general practitioner, but then when you, would you not want to see a, a cardiologist, a heart specialist that, can, that knows, they've studied to know best about how to take care of your heart? Or same thing if you, if you have, uh, you broke a bone or you got, you got a bad hip or a bad knee, you would go to see an orthopedic specialist, somebody that knows how to, to take care of that issue. And I equate that to many people you know, if, if you're struggling, we all struggle. I mean, life, unfortunately, isn't a bowl of cherries all the time. And so if you are having some sort of emotional or mental health, some sort of struggle, um, would you not want to go see somebody who has specific training, specialized training through psychology, psychiatry, to be able to examine those issues and have conversation around that and be able to help you feel better. Really no different than going to see a heart doctor or going to see a lung doctor or or any right. of those other Hematologist, sort of specialists. nephrologist, all the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, you need the specialized help. We have got less than a minute left. So uh, definitely Friday night, January 13th, go to We've Got Your Six there at 9th and State. And uh, 
30-second remark to end this all, Deb. Thank you for being here. What, what would you like to leave with our audience? Well, thank you for having me. And I, I just uh, I appreciate the time and, and the energy uh, in this community to get, to get the word out, to, um, to connect veterans to each other and connect veterans to services and care and to spread the mission of um, suicide prevention amongst all of our service members, veterans, and their families. So thank you, Richard, for... <laughs> for having me and thank you Mary for your time this morning. Okay, and the number to call if you need help is 217-335-3338 together with Tri-State Veterans.